0: So I have really strong opinions, and if you ask me, I have really strong opinions about a lot of things, unfortunately, And, and I've been in conversations with people in the past where they've been sharing with me some very private or things about them, their family, or what they're dealing with, and the whole time I'm reloading with my opinions of what I want to share. And oftentimes, I have even made the mistake of actually sharing my opinion and then walking away feeling like I should have put my foot in my mouth because I embarrassed somebody, I hurt somebody's feelings, I caused an argument. Has anybody ever felt that way before? Now, there are some issues that I've learned never to give my opinions about now. I am never gonna give my opinion about politics again. It's not gonna happen. If you ask me in a group, I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, I'm just not gonna give my opinion about politics again because it generally doesn't do any good. You and I are not gonna change each other's mind and it's only gonna hurt my ability to have influence with you or your ability to have influence with me. So I'm just, I, I've learned not to share my opinion about politics. The other thing I've learned not to share my opinion about is other people's children. I remember before I had kids, I had lots of opinions about parenting skills. (laughs) Then I had kids. And then I recognized how challenging it was to be a parent. So I don't give any more opinions about other people's children anymore. But I bet you're a lot like me. I bet there are times you are just sitting on the edge of your chair because you want to give your opinion and you feel so strongly about it. And sometimes you have trouble keeping your mouth shut, right? We both have this problem. Now, <clears throat> think about this. We have opinions about Duke, Carolina, President Trump, Post Malone, Taylor Swift, the Cheesecake Factory, oh, the Cheesecake Factory, the Dulce de Leche Cheesecake. Y'all don't eat it all, because I like that, that's my favorite. Uh, we have opinions about the mountains, the beach, your internet service providers, Snapchat, CrossFit, Starbucks, Star Wars, Starfish, <laughs> and the infamous traffic circle in Kernersville. <laughs> I mean, that brilliant piece of the ingenuity right there. Hey, if you're watching from China, you need to come to Kernersville, North Carolina in the United States and you need to experience this wonderful piece of ingenuity. It's going to change your life right there. Traffic, circle, and kerners. But we all have opinions. What, what I'm learning is a lot of our opinions are like armpits. A lot of them stink, y'all. They just do. A lot of them stink. I'm learning that opinions are like birthdays, too. Everybody has one, and I only know yours because of Facebook. Facebook, unfortunately, is getting used for us to share all of our opinions on everything in life, y'all. And we, we need to be a little bit smarter. I was in my uh, class at Georgetown recently, uh, and a friend of mine who is a compliance attorney, graduated NYU, uh, we're just kind of getting some coffee after uh, one of our breaks. And he said, hey, Eric, what do people in your church think about the political landscape right now? And I'm like, Tim, dude, seriously? I said, we try really hard to talk about things that we have in common rather than things that could divide us. And, and, and this, this quote was you know something that I've been hanging my hat on recently ever from that conversation. As a church, we must choose to focus on things that unite rather than divide us. We're gonna feel very differently about a lot of different things. But the gospel writer, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth writer of the New Testament, he wrote a whole chapter in his book, John 17, of Jesus praying that the church would be unified, that it would be one. And so let's be careful that uh, we don't focus on the things that pull us apart. Let's start and find common ground with the things that pull us together. That just makes sense. But here's what I know. We all have opinions and everybody has an opinion of the church just ask them. And generally it's not good. Generally it's not flattering. It's not helpful. It's not nice. And so everybody loves to give their opinion of their church because they're going to tell you either about their experience or the experience of somebody that they know that was terrible. And so everybody has an experience of uh, uh, an opinion of the local church. Now I thought this week, Hey, what would some opinions be of outsiders? And I've met people that don't go to church, don't like church, and they gave me their opinion. But, so here's a list that I've compiled of four things that I feel like are opinions of people that, that don't go to church. They're outsider opinions. Here they are. Number one, it's just hypocritical. It's people who go to church, there's just too much hypocrisy going on. You live one way, but you believe something different and you're just confusing and you're not genuine and you're not authentic. You're just hypocrites. I don't like, I don't like a single one of you. Outsider opinion. Number two, it's just irrelevant. This was me years ago. I didn't want to go to church because it was irrelevant. There was nothing happening on Sunday that helped me on Monday. And it was just completely irrelevant. I'm like, I don't even want to be here. This is a waste of my time. It's irrelevant to my life. Number three, it's judgmental. The church is often seen as judgmental. I have enough problems in my life. The last thing I need you to do is heap your judgment upon me and my lifestyle choices. I'm not interested in that. And I don't really want to go to church if I'm going to be judged and people are going to be mean to me or say unnice you know not nice things to me or it's make believe. This is one of my favorites. Make believe. The things that you that we talk about at church, the stories that we talk about out of the Bible, it feels like Disney sometimes. It feels like there's no way that could have happened. I mean, there is no way those things could have happened throughout the scriptures and throughout God working with different people throughout history. It just seems to make believe it's not real. And, and the, so the, here's some outsider opinions of the church. Then I did some research and I said, okay, what are people who are inside the church? What's their opinion? Like, if they could give their opinion of what it feels like to go to church or what their opinion of the church is. Here we go. Number one, it's a building. <clears throat> I remember when Crete and I got married, her mom was so excited because I was on staff at this church as a youth pastor, and it was a massive, huge church. And it was this big First Baptist church way up on the hill in our city. And I have to this day, I don't know that I've been in a more gorgeous, beautiful building, but, but one of the things I remember her saying was, I'm so glad you got a job there because that, that means my daughter gets to get married in that church. And she was so excited. But, but to her, the church was a building, right? <clears throat> For some of you, you know traditions. You've got traditions in your family of going to church. I remember when I was younger, my grandparents always wanted our family, man, was it just me? My grandparents wanted our family to attend every Christmas, like two or three nights before Christmas, this candlelight service that was way too hot, way too long, way too boring. And I always tried to get out of it. My mom would never let me get out of it. And so we always had to sit there and endure this like two hour service. And it was, oh, it was frustrating, but it was a tradition for my grandparents. It meant everything to them. If you've ever said the phrase, get fed, you're an insider. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, you're in the club. You know the secret handshake. If you've ever said the phrase, get fed, I go to church to get fed. Uh, People don't learn this unless they've been around for a little while. And this generally means, hey, I want to sit and listen to the pastor or speaker preaching because that's what nourishes my faith. That's essentially what that means. And last, the best insider opinion of the church is we go to church because it straightens out my kids. We need to go to church to straighten out my kids. I, I remember when I was in student ministry, and I'm so, so awesome to hear all my students. Can I hear from you all over here? Yeah. Man, representing. Um, I, I remember when I was in uh, student ministry, and student pastors are the best. They're just amazing. They put up with so much stuff. But anyway, um, I remember parents would come to me and say, can you fix my kid?" I'm like, I I could barely fix myself. I I can't fix anybody. Jesus can help people. But this is a big insider of, hey, we need to start going to church because church can hopefully fix our children and that kind of thing. But, you know, as we're in this series on church identity, what is it? I mean, everybody's got an opinion of the church. What is it really? What is it really? Have you ever had vacation confusion? Has your family ever taken a vacation vacation? And everybody wasn't really on the same page before you went on the vacation. And it turned into a, uh, a situation. <laughs> I'll never forget when Cretia and I went on our honeymoon and uh, we went to St. Thomas, this was 23 years ago, I think. We went to St. Thomas Virgin Islands for our, honey- our honeymoon. And I remember thinking, all right, I've got to do everything here on this island before I leave in a week span. Like, that's my goal. That's my goal is when we we go on this trip, I may not ever be back here again. So I want to parasail, I want to climb mountains, I want to go do daring stuff, I want to do all this kind of crazy stuff. And it's going to be awesome. Little did I know, Crescia didn't want to do any of the things that I wanted to do in St. Thomas. We had our first marriage fight. Now, I know y'all have never had this before. Y'all have never had a fight before, but I know for us, it was like, oh, wait, it finally occurred to me that I need to think about somebody else and their expectations and that they have desires too. And it created a whole bunch of collective confusion. And so you can see why if we're not all on the same page, it could be very much like a vacation that I thought we were gonna do this. No, I thought we were gonna do this and the kids thought they were gonna do this and now nobody's happy. Everybody's mad. Y'all been in the car when everybody's mad, right? Nobody's speaking. Everybody puts their headphones in. Yes, that's what it turns into. I've learned and I've discovered that when it comes to the identity of the church, our challenge, our identity as the church originates more from our traditions than it does the truth. If I were to ask you about what's the identity of the church in your life, you would probably refer back to something that you did or used to do in church experiences that you had rather than the truth that we're getting ready to talk about in just a minute, rather than the truth. How many of you would be so bold to raise your hand to say, I saw the original Star Wars in 1977? Yes, thank you for your honesty. A proud, proud fellow back there. Yes. So a lot of us saw, I was five years old. A lot of us saw the original Star Wars in 1977. And I remember the theater I was sitting in. I remember where we were. I remember the popcorn I was eating. I remember the design of the thing that I was holding. I remember all this stuff because I'm like, whoa, I've never, you know, we've never experienced a movie like this before, right? When I think of Star Wars, that's what I think of. Now, I know there's a gazillion of them now, but, but, but your children know Star Wars as something maybe called the revenge of the Sith, Right? And maybe your children or grandchildren know Star Wars as, was it Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace or whatever weird titles. I don't even know where, where these things are coming from. But here's my point. We've all experienced Star Wars, but if I asked all of us to describe it, we would probably describe it in different ways. And it's the same way for the church. Different generations describe it differently. So, who's right? Thankfully, Jesus had something to say about this. So, the book of Matthew, the first author uh, in the New Testament, his name is Matthew. He's the first, wrote the first book of the New Testament. He was an apostle of Jesus. Matthew's quick story is that Matthew was a tax collector. And if if anybody was hated uh, in that day, it was a Jewish tax collector. He worked for Rome, but he was Jewish, and he charged his fellow brethren, his fellow Jewish guys, extra taxes, and they hated him for it. It would be like a Carolina fan working at Duke University in the ticket office and charging Carolina fans more money per ticket to come to Cayman Indoor Stadium. That, that's the picture, right? So he's supposed to be one of them because he's Jewish, but he's charging his brothers more money, so he's hated, and and nobody likes him. Rome doesn't like him. His people don't like him. He doesn't fit in anywhere. There's no category or niche of the culture where he fits. So Jesus, of all people, walk up to Matthew one day as he's in his tax booth uh, collecting taxes, and he says two words to him. Follow me. does Matthew do? Puts his stuff down and walks out of his tax collecting booth. And then he throws this party for Jesus. And I don't know if it was that night or if it was the next night, but he throws this incredible party and he invites the only people that will come to his party or tax collectors. Those are the only people he knows and the only people that will hang out with him because the Jews hate him and the Romans hate him. So he just invites the worst of the worst people. And by the way, did you know that Jesus had a nickname? It wasn't friend of saints. It was friend of sinners. Jesus had a nickname all throughout the New Testament that he was a friend of sinners. So Jesus goes to this party that Matthew invited him to and all the tax collectors and sinners were there. And then the church leaders show up at the party because they wanna know what's going on. And they walk in, and they see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and that's where the popular phrase came to be, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. And the writer Matthew, I'm telling you, who soon turned disciple, then apostle, said, thank you, Lord, that you were a friend to me. So Matthew records in this first book in, in the New Testament, he records a conversation that Jesus is having with all of his disciples and he says, hey guys, um, who, <clears throat> who do, does everybody say that I am? Who do all the people out there, I've been touring and I've been speaking and people have becoming uh, you know, followers of me, but, but who does everybody say that I am? And well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, maybe another prophet, And then he asks them this question. Don't miss this. He kind of stops. Then he gets real serious. And then he says, but who do you say I am? That's fine that they can have their opinion. But I'm most invested with you. I've given most of my time to you. You've seen behind the scenes. We've had much more conversation. Who do you say I am? This is the same question he asked you and me. Who do you say I am? Now, I don't know what any of the other apostles said, but there was one particular, well, disciple at this point, turned apostle after Jesus' resurrection, but there was one disciple who always had the issue of, talk about foot and mouth disease. He was always the first one to speak up, always had an opinion, always talked very loudly and boisterously over everybody else. And you can guess what his name was if you've read any of the Bible. Simon Peter answered. and This is what he said. He said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. In other words, you're the chosen one. You're the deliverer, the son of the living God. Don't miss that. He said, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. We're coming back to this. And Jesus says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Notice what Jesus did in this conversation. It's very subtle. And if you just read through this and don't pay attention, you'll miss it. Jesus calls him Simon Peter first. And after Peter's declaration of who Jesus is, Jesus calls him just Peter second. Why? Why would he do that? In that day and time, it was very common when people made Big declarations in their life that their name would often change. Notice what happened to Peter. Jesus changed his identity. Your name is part of your identity, and Jesus changed his identity. And he said, "Peter, I'm I'm telling you this. You." are a rock. In other words, you are going to be one of the leaders of my movement from this day forward. You're going to have influence and people are going to come to you for help. And you've witnessed so much for me and all my teaching. You're going to, what your opinion is going to matter. You're going to be a leader. You're going to be a firm leader in my new movement. That's why I'm calling you a rock. I want you to get that in your head, Peter. Then Jesus says something very interesting too. When we think about what's the church? Is it traditions? Is it a building? Is it blah, blah, blah? What's the church? Jesus defines it. He says, now, Peter, listen. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus, upon what rock are you going to build your church on? Peter? Because if I remember correctly, Peter denied Jesus three times the night before Jesus was crucified. Peter really wasn't exhibiting Rock behavior at this point. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Upon this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The rock is the declaration that Peter shared. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the son of the living God. And that is the declaration upon which my church will be built. And all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. That declaration right here, the church, the church's identity gets itself, gets its identity from the identity of Jesus. And he said, This is what the church will be built upon. We gather, when we gather like this, we gather as a group of people who are standing on the identity of who Jesus is. And then Jesus says this He says, This this word church, what does it mean? Does it mean building traditions? No. This is the first time the word church is in the New Testament. And the word that Matthew chooses to write and the word that Jesus said was ecclesia, and it means assembly. And Jesus said, I'm going to start something from this day forward that's going to, you know, transcend time and space and continents, and it's going to be a gathering of people anywhere in my name, anywhere in the world beyond North America. Guys, think about this. Think about the 67 million people in China who cannot gather in public, but they are gathering in what's called the underground church because it's illegal for them to do what you and I are doing right now. I don't change your perspective. It's the assembly of people built upon the declaration. But this assembly has a responsibility. And here's what I love. When we go to John uh, chapter 13, Jesus says, guys, I'm just gonna give you one commandment, okay? I'm not gonna give you a bunch. I'm just gonna give you one. Here it is. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Let's, Let's don't read this part yet. Love each other. Okay, Jesus, I can do that. Because I know my definition of love. And you probably know what your definition of love is too. And I'm okay with this first part. I I wish Jesus would have just stopped there because I'm pretty good enough to decide what I think love is and do that for you. Much like you probably feel very comfortable about what your definition of love is and you can do that for me. But the problem is Jesus didn't give us that option. He says, just as I have loved you, he goes, you are not at liberty to decide what love means. Just coming up with any old definition. He goes, here's the great distinction between your, you know, my belief of love and Jesus. He says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. That's the command. That's the one challenge. Think about all the things that Jesus could have said, Right? He could have said, hey, uh, follow the Ten Commandments. Guys, you know, I'm getting ready to leave. Just, just follow the Ten Commandments, you're golden. Or he could have said, read the Bible every day. This is wonderful. We should. This is foundational to our faith. But Jesus didn't say this. He, he could have said, guys, pray for 15 minutes a day. You're good. This is good. This is noble. We should do this, but this is not what Jesus told us to do. He could have said, guys, just get your Zen on, you know, practice mindfulness, you know, meditate. This is good. This is helpful, but this isn't what Jesus said. Lastly, my favorite, he could have said, don't cuss, it or chew or date girls that do. <laughs> I even got an amen up here from that one. Uh, he, he could have said all these things, but he didn't say that. Here's what he said. He said, guys, I love you so much and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna place you in the tension of people that you know and situations that you're in and you are gonna have to figure out what love looks like, my quality of love in that situation. I'm not gonna give you a list. It's not something you can just check. You have to live, I have to live in the tension of the situations of the people and the stuff that we're involved in every day and go, what does it look like for me to love these people the way Jesus loves me? He says, you got to figure that out. That's maturity. And that's hard to do. So if you forget anything I've said, I want you to wake up tomorrow morning and ask this question. Here's my big idea. I want you to wake up and ask this question. A church is a gathering of people who wake up every day asking, this is Andy Stanley's famous question, what does love require of me today? We are a group of people standing on the declaration of who Jesus is Not our traditions and not our building. Waking up every day asking the question, what does love require of me today? I want to give you an example of what this looks like. I was talking to a friend this past week who uh, they were sharing with me that one of their friends who has a daughter got injured and she was just unable to really care for the needs of her daughter. So they invited her daughter to stay with them for 2 or 3 days and take care of her while she got healthy and well and was able to kind of get her life back together. That's what the church looks like. That's a wonderful description of the church. I was uh, rolling through scrolling through Instagram yesterday watching our student weekend all all weekend here at Cornersville. And it was incredible as I saw students worshiping and talks being given and lives being changed and leaders stepping up and group leaders serving. And it, it, was the, it was all about the story of the church being the church. I had um, lunch with a friend of mine this week at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro. And uh, he and I were comparing church stories over the years. And he was kept telling me every reason why he hated going to church when he was younger and his wife finally talked him into it and all right, we'll give the summit a try and and they've loved coming to the summit ever since. But I started sharing my story with him and my story's a little bit different. I went into ministry right after college and I was a youth pastor for four years. I pastored a church for four years and I started a church for four years. And after that 12 year stint, I was donezo with the church. And I told God, God, I love you. I'm committed to you. But I'm really done with the local church and I have lost faith in this place. Because what I discovered is when you're a leader in a local church and you're trying to create change, it's so hard to do. And sometimes it feels like you are pushing a rock up a hill all by yourself. And I really told the Lord at that moment, I was like, I'm done with the church. I don't want to go back into it. Send me to France. Send me to the beach. Send me to Africa. I don't care. But I'm done. Lost faith. And then I remember uh, Pastor Jonathan calling me. This was almost 11 years ago for a leadership opportunity here. And I remember getting here and I remember dragging my feet the whole way. I remember going, ah, you know, Eric, you know what you've experienced. It's not gonna be any better than blah, blah, blah. And I remember getting here and within two weeks, within two weeks, God had restored my hope in his local church. And I know this is self serving, and I'm just going to do it because I'm the only one that has a microphone right now. Um, but I love this place. I love this place. And I hope you do too because you're part. You are a part every week of changing people's minds of what the local church is all about. And all of us have had our issues and all of us could probably tell me paragraphs of stories of how maybe you've been hurt. Gosh, I've, I know I've hurt people unexpectedly or unconsciously and we're all banged up and bruised and, and need God's grace. But I'm telling you, there is hope. If you've kind of hit that place where I'm, I feel good about Jesus, but that local church thing, pfft, I'm telling you, you are in a place that cares about you. So, I want to challenge you to do uh, three or four things as you leave today. Knowing that the Bible calls us, Jesus calls us, a spiritual family, knowing that we're a spiritual family, let's appreciate our differences. Let's appreciate our differences. You know, this happens when we get married, opposites attract each other. And then after you've been married for a while, opposites attack each other. But let's be the kind of people where we appreciate our differences. We appreciate our strengths. We appreciate the way that God has built us all so differently. Let's be patient in our weaknesses. There's going to be times when you are going to be weak. I am too. Let's be patient with each other in those times, knowing that God is patient With us. Let's be careful with our perspectives. Guys, I'm with you. I have a lot of very strong held opinions and perspectives. Some of them I'm like, oh gosh, I need to work on that. But we need to be the kind of people, before we just bark out our perspectives in a group or with people, we need to ask, is this helpful? is this loving? Could this be divisive? We may need to use some restraint that God gives us. And then last of all, let's be determined with our love. None of us are going to be perfect, and we're all going to need this. The reason that you came to Jesus was because of his love. Let's be the kind of people that changed the way the culture thinks about the church because we love each other the way Jesus loved us. And this starts internally. This starts with me and you and you and us. And we begin to change the culture because this is the way we treat each other. Let's be those kinds of people. So I don't know what type of um, declaration you need to make today. I don't know if it's like Peter and I don't know if it's like, hey, you are the Christ, son of the living God for the first time. And I'm choosing to believe. Maybe that's your declaration you need to make today. I want to challenge you to do that. For others of you, you've been kind of sitting on the back seats of this thing called the local church because You just didn't quite know. I wanna challenge you to take a step to get involved with your next step card in front of you. I wanna challenge you to find a way to be a part of this family whose greatest distinction is our love for one another the way Jesus loves us. I wanna pray for you. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for my friends that are in this room and watching online. God, we're all in this together trying to figure out what is our part in the local church and why does it matter? And God, thank you for reminding us that the, the identity of the church is built upon the identity of Jesus, that you are the Christ, son of the living God. And that not only are we in assembly, Gathered together, a spiritual family, but we're an assembly with the responsibility to love each other as you have loved us. Let that one greatest characteristic be what defines the Summit Church as we move our way forward in the triad and all the various places you want this ministry and your love to touch. Guide us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.